find it at all like weird. Like we we both are maybe the two biggest Marlins haters that I've ever met in my life. Yeah, and I think uh, yeah. like there's legit reason for that. But isn't it kind of strange to think that a team that doesn't even make the radar for like 95% of the baseball loving population, let alone the actual sports fan population is one of our two least favorite organizations in the world. It is. And they, and part of the reason, part of one of the many reasons why I, they are arguably my least favorite sports organization is because they don't even, they're not on the radar of their own fans or region either. Like nobody cares like nobody cares and when and they've had so much good happen for them relative to both how good they actually are and relative to how many people their success would make happy uh that i find it a a really good uh just example of the unfairness of life is is this team <laughs> and yeah it's like i it, nobody cares about them and i think part of it is that you and i also like, okay, we're huge Cubs fans, yes. We would like to see the Cubs do good things. But if the Cubs aren't going to do good things, we like history. We like a nice narrative to a thing. And this team is none of that. Like, they, it's, it's the only team I could think of that if they just, if they got contracted or changed their name and moved to any city, it would be more interesting. Like, <laughs> Like the like if if you move that team to you know to Montreal or to Charlotte or Nashville, it would be a more interesting baseball story than this team that actually has like I guess a you know whatever it is coming up on a thirty year history. Yeah, and I said this to our Outsports Expos fan Brian Bell a couple of weeks ago when he was on the pod. But if they managed to move the Marlins to Montreal, that would be far and away the most interesting narrative and story you could, you could attach to it because it would be like Quebec's long long game revenge against jeff loria like the yes. man the man who ripped their team away and now finally we're taking yours and that would be such a beautiful ending to what's been a terrible baseball story and you know we we do care about baseball history and, and i guess the best way to sum up why the marlins generate so much antipathy with me is because not once in their existence have they ever felt like a real baseball team like, yeah, even for the expansions like Colorado at this point definitely feels real. They've got one of the most beautiful ballparks in the game. You've got Larry Walker and Todd Helton, a Hall of Famer and maybe a borderline Hall of Famer in their history. You have that incredible run they went on in 2007 where they won, what, 22 or 21 out of 22. Mm -hmm. uh, even the Diamondbacks feel like a real team. They've won a World Series in 2001, have that Randy Johnson, Kurt Schilling, the modern day Kofax Drysdale. The Marlins have none of that, despite winning two World Series. Yeah, it's it's deeply strange that the Marlins are a team with two World Series uh, cannot fly a divisional championship flag. Yeah, two. They have never won a division, <laughs> and baseball with the longest season should be the thing that rewards truly good teams. That is why. You play all these games to see who is the best team in the division. The Marlins have literally never been the best team in their own division, and yet they have two World Series trophies uh, somehow. But a de the deeply strange thing I was going to say is that you think of, uh, you know, the Rockies, and you, you mention Walker and Helton. Now, Helton was Rocky all the way. Mr. Rocky all the way. Uh, uh, Walker obviously had a nice career in Montreal, too. 
before going over there. But the Marlins, when they've won championships, they've never been powered by a guy whose main thing was being a Marlin. Right. Mr. Marlin is Jeff Conine. <laughs> nice player. Yeah. You know? Nice player. But you think of those World Series teams, and who do you think of? Miguel Cabrera, who's a Tiger. You right. know, that's how you think of Miguel Cabrera. Uh, I guess, you know, Josh Beckett, I guess, had some had a good chunk of time there. So that makes a little bit of sense. And the 97 team was just a bunch, you know, it was so many just rented players that they sold off immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the 97 team, the one that comes to mind first and foremost is probably Gary Sheffield. And Gary Sheffield was a Mr. No team. Like he was yeah. 10 or 11 teams in his career, despite being one of the best and most dangerous hitters in the game. So I, I guess maybe he perfectly sums up a championship Marlins team. If, uh, That's probably true. And then, yeah, and a guy like, you know, I remember Kevin Brown from over there too. Kevin Brown, who was a guy who, you know, obviously was really good and talented, but also was like, I don't know, you never, I, I, it's hard for me to associate him with any one team too. You know, it's just a guy you sign for a lot of money for a couple of years and then he's gone. Yeah, Kevin, um, Kevin Brown, I think you don't associate with any team because after about two years, the rest of his team said, fuck this guy, get him out of here. Yeah, a really a classic. And, and, you know, shout out to Kevin Brown for being a guy that everyone knew was an asshole <laughs> with much less media coverage. Right. Because I feel like now with Twitter and like players having their own Twitter and uh and, you know, the Athletic and the Players' Tribune, you have a lot. Uh, you just obviously know more about these guys' personalities than you used to. It took a real asshole to break through and be known as an <laughs> asshole throughout the league when it was, you know, you had maybe a beat writer or two. And that was it. <laughs> yeah, Kevin Brown looks at Trevor Bauer and goes, amateur. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you needed your own channel? <laughs> <laughs> All I had was one ESPN back in the day, and the world still knew I was a prick. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it, it's uh, it, you just think of those teams and it's like, and I mean, I, I don't know if this is moving on too quickly, but also just the narrative of the, I, I don't really care about them beating the Yankees. I mean, that whatever, that's uh, that's fine. But obviously they beat the Cubs, which we have the personal connection to in that year that was, you know, the Cubs weren't like amazing all through the regular season, but they got on a magical run at the end kind of. Yeah. Um, and then really getting in the way of Cleveland's championship in 97. Mm-hmm. It's just like you have this fake team <laughs> with no one that no one cares about that gets in the way of two, the, the, arguably the two teams that the most people would have cared about with the longest droughts too. And from a narrative standpoint, it just can't be any more pointless than that. Yeah, absolutely. I'll put a pin in that for a second while I do the show open because I want to come right back to where we were here. Uh, but this is the Three Strikes You're Out sure. podcast, part of the Outsports Podcast Network, the Outsports Baseball Podcast, episode number 46. You'll dig this, the Lee Arthur Smith episode of Three Strikes You're Out. My name is Ken Schultz, contributing writer to Outsports Baseball Prospectus and stand-up comedian, not on pause. And I'll detail that in the, in the plugs at the end of the show. Okay. Uh, the other voice you're hearing right now is a frequent guest and friend of the pod and co-host of the newly renamed Cubs Brawl Away Games podcast, now with 80% more violence. Kevin McCaffrey is joining us. <laughs> hey, what's happening, man? Thank you, sir. Always good to see you. Always good to talk to you. You are currently in New Jersey on the way back to yeah. Chicago and hoping we are taping this on Thursday morning. So 
We don't know when this comes out, whether or not the Cubs will still be playing, but hoping by the time you get to Chicago, the Cubs still exist in 2020. It would be nice. You know, I guess there, yeah, I, I'm uh, drive, going back to Chicago because my brother Joe's daughter, Emmy, he just had a uh, child and I'm going to be godfathering her. So going there for the, the baptism. And uh, yeah, the way this works out, it's just, I, I guess I'm going to be really angry, tense driving through, <laughs> I guess it'll be Western Pennsylvania and Ohio for the most part. Um, for the Cubs afternoon game today. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm doing everything I can, man. I'm, I'm wearing all my Cubs stuff. I'm wearing, I'm down to the Cubs socks. I've got my uh, blue and white Air Jordan 1s on. I'm, uh, I'm doing everything, everything I can do here. Yeah, both of us are decked out as if we would be showing up to Wrigley today, which, as we know, is not yes. possible. But that's, I think anyone knows right. at this point listening to us, that's how we fan. Yeah. Very uh, much so. Yeah, yeah and so godfathering is, is the damn best. That uh, I, I am godfather to my niece Kira, my oldest niece, and I will, will share one good story from um, actually my nephew Peter's christening, uh, where I came down to the D.C. area to check it out, and at the end of the the mass uh, is when they held the special christening for. Uh, the newborns, there was Peter and I think a couple others who were participating in it. And at that point, my niece Kira, who is I think three at that point, turns mm -hmm. to my sister and says, mommy, we forgot something. And my sister says, oh, what did we forget, Kira? And she goes, we forgot to leave. And I thought, that's my damn niece <laughs> right there. That is my niece. I, I, that is very funny. What, <laughs> what, a, what a draw you in, set up and turn. Yeah, yeah. At three years old, she, she's got perfect, like, Bud Abbott skills. I love it. So let's pick up uh, where our discussion was, uh, where you dropped it off. Cause, and, and I realized that it's, you know, somewhat hypocritical of us, of us to criticize other organizations for taking – are taking advantage of Cleveland's misfortunes, but hey, that's where we are. Sure. We didn't know at the time. <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah. actually, um, I'm somewhat personally connected to both of the biggest tragedies associated with Marlins World Series, because as we talked about, I think, in the very first episode of this podcast, I was there, of course, for Game 6 in 2003. The Marlins literally made me cry for five minutes that night. <laughs> yeah. And then... Fair. In 97, when they beat the Indians in the World Series in that incredible Game 7, that was my sophomore year at Kenyon College in the middle of Ohio, which meant oh, that watching that game with a room packed with Indians fans in one of the dorm room lounges. So I got to, I mean, I was invested in seeing Cleveland win that World Series because at that point it was like, I wanted to see any team with a long drought win just to show us that it could be done. And Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And when it came so close with Jose Mesa, man, I, I was I was all in at that point. And then to watch it all just kind of dissolve and and see the the looks of horror and sadness and everybody around me, and just feel that depression in the room, like yeah, I, I I that was kind of the first indication of this is not a team that I like very much. Yeah, and I think uh, that most Cubs fans I know, and I think a lot of fans in general kind of will root that way if your team is not in it you know you root for the better story and 
Obviously, Cleveland had had the long drought. I love Major League. Major League's my favorite baseball movie. I watch it to begin every year. So I love, you know, I just, I, I, I've sort of adopted Cleveland as my usual AL uh, team to root for. And yeah, it just like, and I think we, we rooted for, rooted to see Cleveland win. And I know, like, I think we both wanted to see the Red Sox and their drought too, when they, Absolutely. you know, when they had it. And, so, and it would, and in a way, like as Cubs fans, not jealous, really just like, oh, I hope you get it too. And I think that was, that was a way where we were kind of nice and emotionally healthy about baseball, which is not a, a not a given <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Um, and yeah, it's just like watching that Marlins Cleveland series is just like, who cares? Like who cares about this, this other team? And, uh, it's, it's a team that never should have made it out of the nineties. The colors are so nineties, the everything about it is just so, so nineties. And at least when we beat, when our team, the Cubs beat Cleveland, we were in the same boat roughly. You know, in some sense. I mean, our boat was much larger and had been <laughs> longer, but uh, it was it was too long. Yeah, our, our our boat was much larger and taking on much more water at the time. I think. <laughs> yes, I think so too. Yeah, so you, I felt more more deserved. You, you remember that that Fox montage before Game Seven in 2016, where they went back and forth between elderly Cub fans and elderly Cleveland fans, and both of them talking about you know the their youth spent rooting for like an Ernie Banks or a Bob Feller and Cleveland fans, maybe if they were of a certain age, remembering way back that 1948 team that actually won a world series. And of course, Cub fans had nothing at all. And yeah, with, with the Marlins in like 97, are you going to speak to 10 year olds about Chucky Carr at that point or Arrestus Estrada? Like, is that your history? Is that your thing? Yeah. There's, there's just the idea of a, of a long suffering Marlins fan, it, it is. It, it does not exist, and it has never existed, and could never exist. I mean, there there are TikTok stars currently that remember a Marlins title, even though it seems that like it has that they haven't, they haven't been in the playoffs in a long time. Uh, it's just a team that's you know it's never had a struggle. They never even got that good. That's the thing no. I keep coming back to. And, and one of those TikTok stars, I'm pretty sure, is Dontrell Willis at this point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was, and, you know, he I, he might be the most fun Marlin. I approve of him, and of course, he was a guy that comes traded away. But yeah, right, right, because yeah, the Cubs were run by Andy McPhail at that time, and that's kind of what yeah. they did. And but yeah. you're yeah, you're getting at the heart of it is that if it weren't for gimmick ideas, and and the wild card was a gimmick, it was a successful one at least in its first iteration, mm-hmm. but nonetheless a gimmick. The Marlins would never make the playoffs. Have not made it once. In, in their yep. existence as an organization without the help of things instilled from above by the commissioner's office. And in the case of 97 and this year, uh, gimmicks instilled from above recently. Like in 97, the wild card was still only, I think, three or four years old at that point. I think the first year was right. 94 for it. So right. it's, in theory, it's, yeah. I, I, I guess appropriate that the Marlins were also the first wild card team to win a World Series because it made the rest of baseball look at it and go, well, yeah, naturally. What the hell? Yeah. I, I, right. There is peak randomness. And one of the great things about baseball and and just the, the length of the season is the the hope that good teams are actually rewarded, you know? And, yeah. and it, like, you – 
play every day to truly prove who is the best team, uh, you know, who, who is the best team here. And the Marlins, <laughs> they've got two world titles, and they've just never been the best team. Yeah. And, and then this year's Marlins team, it looks like, judging from the way that uh, Boot Shambi on ESPN talked about it yesterday, the narrative will be there that if they move on, that this is going to be one of those classic nobody believed in us and we had to overcome so much to get here. Leaving out the fact that literally everything the Marlins had to overcome in 2020 was of their own making. That you talk yeah. about this, this is not a heartwarming story. This is not overcoming the odds. This is a team that literally almost stopped the 2020 season less than a week in. And we're somehow yeah. supposed to expect that, that these are the scrappy underdog team. I, I'm not buying that right now. No. No. And here's the thing. You can have, uh, you can get COVID without doing anything wrong. Right. We know that the Marlins did things wrong. We, I mean, yes. Derek Jeter came out and said, yep, everyone was hanging out and not social distancing and <laughs> not wearing masks. And then not only did they, you know, put, they put, the rest of the baseball world in a bind almost brought the season down uh, there. But also the Phillies who missed these weirdly expanded playoffs by a game or two, just a couple games. But the Phillies got their season screwed up because of the Marlins mistakes. You know, they, yes. the Phillies had to reschedule games. So who's to say that, that the Marlins uh, messing up everything by being by not being careful, by being a representation – of the part of America that is making this pandemic never-ending, that they they were not punished, but the, the Phillies could have been. It's possible they missed the playoffs because of that. Yeah, it's uh, I, I, it's almost like I if you were if the Marlins somehow were to, were to go all the way and win a World Series, if you were to do like a a crowd shot from whatever World Series rally they they'd come up with after that and match it to, like, any random anti-mask rally in Florida, like, you get 100% match the whole time. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's just, it is, uh, watching karma not be a thing is watching yeah. the Marlins since the inception of the Marlins. Uh, <laughs> as we said, also, you know, Jeffrey Loria connected a, a true criminal, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> uh, like, and who never punished, just, just, you know, just getting by and uh, winning things. Uh, and then, yeah, this year, yeah, they had to not play games after they didn't take COVID seriously. So they had to take some time off and call up some other guys and they're getting away with it. And yeah, to me also, <laughs> it's weird how no one seems to acknowledge that that is at best a complicated story, not just like a plucky underdog thing. Right. And and I wanted to add this too, that there was also a lot of talk in the broadcast yesterday about, well, Don Mattingly is obviously going to be the manager of the year. Uh, and, you know, in a vacuum, I certainly understand that given that the Marlins are a team that nobody expected to do anything and lost 105 this year, making the playoffs the next season. That's your classic formula for that. But sure. again, in this particular year, Don Mattingly's most important job was to communicate the importance of following the protocols to all of his players and making sure that they were not putting themselves at risk at any point. And Don Mattingly utterly failed in that. And that, that's one area where, and I'm not using this to advocate for our guy because Lord knows he's made moves that have driven me nuts, but 
that's one area where David Ross has succeeded immensely in making sure that the Cubs know that, look, it's, it's not just about you. It's, it's about the two cancer survivors on our roster. It's about Craig Kimbrell's daughter who's, who has the heart condition. So this is why you've got to take everything seriously and, and toe the line as much as possible in, in this truncated year. And that apparently never occurred or was not important enough to mention for Don Mattingly. No, and, uh, yeah, and as, as we talk about our team, the Cubs are the only team that went the whole season without a player testing positive. And, look, a lot of that's luck, too, but it's also because they did the right thing. And not only did the Marlins not do the right thing, did John Mattingly not communicate enough or, you know, or didn't lead the team well enough uh, so that they would take those protocols seriously, they failed harder than 29 other teams in the same situation. They were the big – I mean, them, them and the Cardinals are the two biggest failures. And as we uh, – when it comes to that, putting the, the whole league at risk and the, the league's uh, existence in this year, 2020, and uh, pe- people's personal lives and they're putting their families at risk. And as we sit here recording this on Thursday morning, those two are two teams that are in the playoffs and up 1-0. <laughs> so of it's course. just like such a maddeningly uh, – just a, just a maddeningly, seemingly unfair thing. Yeah. And, like, as, as you're saying this, the, the thought's occurring to me that, you know, uh, the first thought was, you know, is it going to be peak 2020 to have a World Series between the Marlins and the Astros? And then I realized, no, peak 2020 is somehow a three-way World Series between the Marlins, the Astros, and the Cardinals. <laughs> yes, exactly. They, because uh, one of the games goes 15 innings and it's still tied, and then they just don't <laughs> want to play anymore. And it's just like, you know what? Round robin, uh, in it, all the teams, one team gets the dugout in the stands, and we just rotate through. Who hits? One <laughs> team hits every three uh, half innings, uh, and then we add up the scores at the end. Yeah, and somehow Yadi Molina bats every inning, too. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you want to uh, close this up by talking a little bit about uh, our beloveds, because Lord knows, as, as, as I said, they might not be around for much longer. Uh, so at, at, after witnessing the, the, the game yesterday, game one, Anthony Rizzo told the media that he was surprised that Sandy Alcantara beat them with fastballs. And granted, they're all 97 or 98 miles an hour, but – when yeah. he said that, I wanted to be like, y- you know, you guys haven't really jumped a fastball like this entire season. So you yeah. can't be too surprised that that's the strategy at this point. No, it's weird to not – I mean, and it, it's a quick comment by Rizzo, but it seems like that is a real feeling there, that it seems like he was surprised. And I don't know I, – I just don't know from a game planning perspective – how you could possibly be surprised by that. Because, yeah, I mean, you we've watched uh, guys with great track records just go up there and foul off middle-middle fastballs this whole season. That's basically yeah. been this offense. You know, and yeah. everyone's outside of, outside of Happ and Hayward and maybe a little Contreras, everyone, everyone's bat seems slow. And this is a pitcher, as you said, who has – who's a high velocity guy, 97, 98. And then of course the Marlins have a guy who throws even harder coming up, uh, coming up next. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just don't, I, I, it, it, it seems, it seems like you got to have a better scouting report on yourself than that. Yeah. Like, and we've lamented 
uh, several times on our uh, Facebook chat with our, our mutual friend and your co-host, Adam Mamawala, that this is the first time that I can remember any Cubs team where your scouting report against the hitters, you could literally just say fastball down the middle, one through nine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, we know, and we know that the Cubs take more pitches than any other team. They take more strikes than any other team. Um, and like, so you would think as a pitcher that encourages you to work in the strike zone, they're just going to give you more free strikes than anyone else does. And no one punishes anything. So yeah, I, <laughs> the only thing that, does, the only thing that makes, that doesn't make sense to do to the Cubs is walk them. Um, and there's yeah. guys in this lineup you can't walk too. So, you know, they, they that just won't let you walk them. So, um, <laughs> I'm feeling, I mean, it's feeling pretty bleak and you Darvish can turn this around on us by the time this podcast drops really, uh, as close as, as, uh, as we are to the game. But, um, I don't know. It just, I, I, what, what is, what is, what is your heart telling you about these 2020 Cubs right now? Um, my heart is telling me that the offense shows up for roughly two games a week at this point. Right. So yeah. In theory, they have two more games left in the series, so the offense <laughs> could show up in both of those. But yeah. I'm not counting on it right now, especially with a pitcher that's throwing 100 today. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, it's it's going to be kind of a thing, kind of the way I, I infamously was going into uh, game four of the Dodgers series in 2016, where, you know, they'd been shut out twice, and I just felt like, okay, they're, they're just kind of shutting it down for the year. That's that, that same mm-hmm. feeling I have now. So it's almost like, okay, I guess somebody drop a button and prove me wrong. Right. Yeah. And uh, Javi was trying to once yesterday, um, mm-hmm. trying to drop a bunt down. Yeah. It's like, I, I think we, I feel like for me to really feel like this season was a success in some sense, it's a, it's a, it's a success because it got this far. Winning a division is a success. That's, that's a real thing. And they managed to do it as frustrating as this offense was to watch all year. Um, but for me, losing two games at on your home field to the Marlins, a team who came into this with a negative forty one run differential uh oh, this year, which is worse than the which was worse than the Angels, it was worse than the Mets, it was worse than the Nationals. <laughs> I mean, you know, like to me that's not a success. I don't feel like this team is, you know, traditionally really championship caliber right now. That's just not the offense we've seen, regardless of what the names on the jerseys say. Um, but to me, I feel like winning this series and then getting the coin tosses from there on out feels like what should happen. But, you know, we've been talking about the Marlins all day, and all they do is what shouldn't happen. So, you know. <laughs> Yeah. It's, uh, if the Marlins put out a highlight video from this year's postseason – it's going to be shot for shot a remake of No Country for Old Men. But it is possible. Yeah. This turns around. I mean any, anything can turn around in two games. It absolutely can. And and we've seen them get hot even over short stretches like that. Uh yeah, I, I, I do think kind of where this year is going to fit in in like cub history or whatever. Uh, it, it's it's going to fit into like two distinct categories because it's overall like the grand scheme from 2015 to 2020, you're talking about uh, playoff appearances in five out of six years. And mm-hmm. this is going to be like part of that 
larger big group narrative of they just kept making the postseason, kind of similar, uh, maybe on a slightly smaller scale, but similar to those 90s Braves or 90s Indians kind of things. Uh, but it's yeah. also going to fit into like a smaller subcategory of this 2018, 2019, 2020 year, if it ends badly, where uh, you look at the year and go, yeah, they were, they gave us definitely moments of fun throughout the regular season. And overall, this is obviously much better than any of that mid nineties or early two thousands direct they were throwing out there. But right. it ends every year ends in a just really kind of, uh, I wish you were doing better. Why aren't you fun or good anymore kind of way? Yeah, right. Because it's not – it's the last year – in 2017, the Cubs won the uh, – you know, they won the division, won the first round of the playoffs in the insane series against the Nationals, lost to the Dodgers. And that was different than these last three years because that felt like they did just about everything they could and lost to a better team, you know. Right. And – I don't think we've had that feeling over the last three years. It would be one thing you, with this core, this legendary core of Cubs players that are, um, so many of them are coming to the end of their time with the team. You know, you want to see them go out fighting, even if they can't pull off another championship. You want to see them go get everything they can out of themselves and cliche wise, you know, leave it all out on the field. And it just seems like, I don't know where they've been leaving it, but it hasn't all <laughs> been near the field. It's like, I don't know. Did we, did we leave it in the dance party room that we used to see a lot more of? Uh, I, cause it, 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 yeah, it's just a feeling of like mysteriously, how is this team not doing better? And I don't really know how to explain that. Um, and when you were talking about the, the highlights of the season that you would, the, uh, like if you play the Marlins highlights, it would, it would just be no country for old men. And then yesterday it would be, uh, a guy who I think is a good and will be a good manager, David Ross. Um, not, he's just sitting there and letting Hendricks give up hard contact, hard contact, and then the game. Um, mm-hmm. and I think one thing that that reminds me is how good Joe Madden was for this team. Um, yes. and, uh, for, for the duration of his, his time here. Yeah, it's even with, you know, the, the famously questionable moves in Game 7, Joe Madden was still yes. someone that overall you thought was going to be strategically on top of just about every game that he managed. And he right. would sometimes be weird. He'd sometimes do something that would make you think, what the hell is going on? But he would always have a lengthy and media-friendly explanation for it at the end. And, yeah, David Roth, at, at this point, in, in reference especially to the Hendricks move, it's like I, I, I can't think of too many late-game moves that I feel good about him making right now, and I hope that gets better. But Same. it's also not like, oh, my God, what have they tethered themselves to at this point? Because as we talked about with the way he was able to focus them on a singular mindset this year, you see what his strengths are, and they, they are definite, and they're important strengths too. So it's a matter, I guess, of – can you learn from what you're doing right now and, and some of the errors you're making? Are, are you big enough to admit that they're errors? And can you improve this, like, even slightly? And and that might make you one of the better managers in the game. And, and I think that and I, I think that feeling is still there for Ross, and I, I believe in it, and I believe he'll get there. And I think the how much the team respects him and trusts him is – you know, that's probably the hardest skill to get in a manager, and he has that 
uh, clearly, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's great. It, it's just, yeah, but it's, uh, I, I haven't, I haven't felt super comfortable with him late in games in, uh, in, I mean, the last couple of weeks of the season really too. And that, uh, doesn't, obviously that doesn't bode super well as you go into this, <laughs> this, the, any sort of playoff scenario too. Yeah, that's, that's not when you want to really start questioning your manager's strategy, is it, as, as we're getting closer to October. But, again, that's where we yeah. find ourselves in 2020. Yeah, so we'll see. You know, it's like we'll get this – it's a coin toss. It would be nice to see this <laughs> core get hot – it would be nice to see this core get hot one more time, you know? Yeah. 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 Can the coin land heads once? Can we get fucking heads, please? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It would be nice. I guess I yeah my my the coin toss analogy isn't quite right because that's what I do but uh, uh-huh. yeah yeah and and okay. that would presume that the world is fair and again 2020 uh, 2020 but, Miami Marlins etc yeah <laughs> uh, Kevin do you have anything to plug while I still have you here Hey, sure if you uh, like baseball stats uh, myself and the aforementioned Adam Mamawala are uh, do a weekly. Baseball and Cubs podcast, uh, we're two stand-up comics living in uh, New York, and we're doing uh, baseball and Cubs talk every week. The podcast is called Cubs Brawl, the Away Games podcast. Search that. We're on Twitter at Away Games Pod. And if you want to listen to a podcast about sex in the city, uh, myself (laughs) and a very funny TV writer named John Daly uh, host a podcast called Sex and the City. And uh, you can, you know, you can find that wherever. So we're having a lot of fun doing that. Yeah, and any, any excuse to get more Kevin McCaffrey in your life is a very good thing at this point. They do it. And, it's available. <laughs> and actually, I now have uh, a little plug to throw in at the end of my own damn show, uh, because as I hinted at the top, uh, yeah, I am going to be participating in a Zoom storytelling show uh, this coming Tuesday night at 7 o'clock Central Time. It's a show called Outspoken. It is a well-known and famous storytelling show in the Chicago LGBTQ community. And I'll be telling a variation on my coming out story there. Uh, it's going to be on Zoom, and they'll be making the link live on Monday. So when it goes live, I'm going to post it on my Twitter feed at at KenSchultz underscore. Sign up, check it out, and watch me shake off the rust for several months yeah. of just kind of sitting here and talking into a computer. I mean, that sounds, that sounds great. And, uh, do, like, I feel like a storytelling show is a fun way to shake off the rust. Because yeah, you know you're, you're not gonna you're not gonna for, you're not gonna not know how it goes. You know, <laughs> so, uh, you know the story. Yeah, and and even if uh, it doesn't quite connect with the crowd, what's the way they show their hostility? Do they snap their fingers angrily at me? <laughs> yeah, make a real meal out of winding up their finger to log out. You know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but uh, Kevin, this as always has been a pleasure, and uh, let's keep playing baseball after today, huh? Yeah, I would love to. Thank you. Thanks for having me.